Good morning. Open your Bibles to the book of James. There is a fish that lives in South America, quite unique. Unique because those that are uh, uh, from that area call the fish four eyes. He doesn't have four eyes, but as he swims, it looks like he's floating on the surface, and the eyes are on the top of his head, and actually half of the eyes are above the waterline, and half are under the waterline. God created this fish with the lens for the top for air and for the bottom half of the eyes for the water. And it allows the fish to see both the upper world and the underworld. In this series of Ask God, we're talking about how to grow in wisdom and how to navigate life. And what we understand wisdom is, in a sense, has given us four eyes. That we see not just this world... But we also see things from an eternal perspective, from the upper world, that heavenly lens. And it's best to have both. We have there on the screen James 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. He's the source of wisdom. That's what we learned, that we go to him for that. We talked about this in the first lesson. If you want knowledge, you know, ask Siri, ask Alexa, ask Google. Wisdom, ask God, and he will give it to us. And we talked about that last week. We talked about the pivotal role, how God uses people to be truth tellers, to speak those words of wisdom, that we need to be surrounded by people who love us enough to tell us the truth, to help us as we're trying to follow God and they share our same faith, our same values as we make those decisions so in the first lesson, we talked about looking upward. The second lesson is about looking outward, our friends. This lesson, this last one in the series, is about looking inward. Because each of us, individually, we have to make the decision. We can be surrounded by good people. We can have all the right answers. But we have to make the right choices. You play a huge role in this. You've heard the tongue-in-cheek statement about getting up in the morning and reading the paper and make sure your name is not in the obituary column. Well, that happened to a guy one time. You ever heard about Alfred Nobel? Heard of him? I got his picture on the screen there. Older gentleman, lived quite a few years ago. Alfred Nobel, does that ring a bell? Oh, that was bad. <clears throat> Alfred Nobel had that occurrence. He opened the paper one day and read about his own death. Now, obviously, he wasn't dead. It was his brother who died, and the paper got it mixed up. Now, he was from a family that a lot of folks knew a lot about because Alfred invented dynamite. Alfred owned quite a few uh, plants that manufactured weapons. Very wealthy, very wealthy family. His brother's all successful. So a lot of people in the world knew about Alfred Nobel but when his brother died, they were writing about Alfred instead. So you imagine that, reading, well, what are they going to say about me? And there was one line where one newspaper was talking about him, and it said this, the merchant of death is dead. And that line just stung. He didn't see himself that way. And it bothered him greatly that his life could be summarized, that, that could be sort of a title, the merchant of death is dead. Sometime after reading those words, he reflected this way. I was so shocked by people's perception that I committed the rest of my life to work toward world peace. Ring a bell? Nobel Peace Prize. 
That's what happened. So he decided to change the trajectory of his legacy, what people would think of him. Most of us, when we think of Nobel, we think of Peace Prize, not Merchant of Death. He made that wise decision to do something. So it kind of begs the question, how will you be remembered? You know, when someone dies, especially someone who is young and it maybe makes the news, you know, maybe a car wreck or a tragic shooting, whatever it is, you know, the, the, the media is there and they'll often find a classmate, a friend, somebody knows them well, and they'll say something about them. You know, they were always fun to be around or they always had a smile. They lit up the room and, and we try to say nice things. But what would people say about you? Not just the nice things, if you had a reporter asking you, but if they were to summarize your life, who are you? What is your legacy? How will you be remembered? Will you be remembered by the wise decisions you made? Will you be remembered like the merchant of death? What's your legacy? See, living now with the end in mind can change a whole lot about the life you live, the decisions you make. So here's our takeaway for today. Knowing your destination, knowing your destination should impact your daily decisions. If you know where you're going, it's not just a matter of knowing right and wrong. It's a matter of making daily decisions that reflect where you're headed you're probably familiar with a lot of the wisdom literature in the Old Testament. That's what we call Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. But what about Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to Him, and He will make your path straight. You're familiar with that passage. Maybe even have it marked in your Bible or underlined. I want to call your attention to that first word, trust. Trust in the Lord. The Hebrew word here for trust can mean confident. It's also sometimes used to mean careless. And when I read that, I thought, why would it mean careless? That doesn't make sense. But if you think about it, it does make sense. Your trust is so strong. Your faith is so sure. You're so secure. You'll take bigger risk that others would think it is careless. So let's think for a few moments about how we align our decisions to God's will. I want to call your attention to James 4, verses 13 through 17. You might want to read it in your own Bible. It's on the screen as well. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money, while you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. If you've got your outline on it, you see there's going to be three points today. The first one is simply this. Ask God into your today. Ask God into your today. Invite him into your daily decisions James says here, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. So that's why we invite him into our day. We take it one day at a time. See, the gospel is not just about where you will go when you die. Will you go to heaven or will you go to hell? The gospel is about living for him now, seeking first his kingdom now. And that means your decisions today reflect his lordship as well. 
Proverbs 27, verse 1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day might, may bring forth. So we live for God today because we don't have a promise of tomorrow. So every choice we make, every decision we make, we make it count for something. And again, it reflects our destination. And we stay on course, we stay on that path. Because disobedience as a, over the course of time, even if it's just small, even if it's just a compromise, can be disastrous on the long haul. We find ourselves on the wrong path. We find ourselves going in the wrong direction. Contrast that way of thinking to Colossians 3 verse 2. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And then look at 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And note this phrase, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Take captive every thought. Got to evaluate your thinking. Is your thinking aligning with your priorities? That you are seeking first his kingdom. To make sure you're thinking clearly. We need that proper perspective. That we're just a mist in this life. And it shapes the direction of our life. Now James is not saying by calling us a mist. That we are meaningless or worthless. That's not at all what he's saying there. What he's saying is compared to God's life. God's eternity. Our existence on this earth is like a mist. Here one moment and gone the next. So he said, make your life count. You invite God into today. Make every decision you make count. And the lesson then, we humble ourselves before this all-powerful God who spoke this world into existence. Who comparatively, we are like a mist. And it gives us proper context for our day. We realize we don't have tomorrow. We only have today. Our days are numbered. He's God. He's a big God. Being a Christ follower means trusting God, even if it's risky at times. Some of you know exactly what that means, exactly what that feels like. Maybe you're the student that gets made fun of or overlooked because of your beliefs. Maybe you've got a young family at home and you realize that promotion at work is going to require even more time away from family, maybe more extended travel. So you tell your boss, no thanks. And he doesn't get it. In fact, he doesn't understand because he's not using the same eyes. He doesn't have four eyes. But he's seeing the eternity as well. If you're generous with your money, to others it may seem crazy, but you know the joy of giving, of blessing others, of being the one to help somebody in need. If you tell your boyfriend or girlfriend that you're living with, that you're going to move out, and you want to put the relationship on a new start and do things God's way, the one you're living with is going to think you're crazy. Now, usually we think about couples living together. We think, well, those are younger ones. But I heard just this week about a lady in her 60s that was so convicted and did that very thing. When you know what's true, others will think, that's ridiculous. Why would you do that? If you believe that Jesus came to earth for you, died on the cross for you, a lot of the world is going to think you're crazy. It's ridiculous. And yet it is true. Look what Paul says in 1, uh, 1 Corinthians 1.27. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. So in everything you do, you acknowledge him. You submit to him. You ask God into your today. Here's the second lesson. Ask God as you plan your tomorrow. 
That's what he says next in James 4. Look again at verses 15 and 16. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Because when we understand who we are, again, in the light of the God of the universe, then that's going to reflect all of our decisions. He's the creator. We are the creation. He made us. So we don't dare compare ourselves to him. Because we can say, well, he's up there, we're down here, but we don't even belong on the same chart. I read about a guy who attended a banquet, and he was seated next to a guy who was just brilliant. And as he was sharing the story, he said, I knew he was brilliant because he kept telling me how brilliant he was all during the dinner. You ever been next to someone like that that just cannot stop telling you how smart they are? And the conversation was just going on and on and on. And everybody in the table was just kind of aware of this guy, how smart he was, how smart he was. At one point, the topic turned to grades in school. This intelligent man who couldn't stop talking about how intelligent was, he proudly says that he never made a B throughout all of his high school. And the guy sharing the story looked at everybody else on the table and said, I could say the same thing. Yeah, you'll get that on your way home. But we know knowledge is not the same as wisdom. It's so easy to fall into the comparison trap. It's a default way of thinking of our world. I know more than she knows. I'm smarter than him. We live in a bigger house than, than she has. Or I got a nicer truck than he's got. I'm more spiritual than that person. But as followers of Jesus, we don't compare ourselves to one another. We don't compare ourselves to God. And we don't compare ourselves to one another. Because we're following him. And we realize how we line up with that. Maybe the best verse that reminds me of this, maybe you as well, is Isaiah 64, verse 6. All of us can become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Compared to God, we don't come close. Our best, our best is like filthy rags compared to God. So we give that up, the whole comparison game. We humbly submit to him. He's worthy of our praise. And he's got tomorrow. And we realize that. James says, we don't know what will happen tomorrow, but God does. God knows exactly what will happen. That's why we submit to him in everything we do. In Alexander Solzhenitsyn's book, One Day in the Life of Ivan Denosevich, and don't make me repeat that. But he shared that story. It's an awful uh, account of his time in Soviet prison camp. And he writes about all the atrocities that happened there. And there's one story that he shared in the book where Ivan was praying and another prisoner there was watching him pray and ridiculed him, saying prayers won't help you get out of here any faster. Ivan opened his eyes and replied, I don't pray to get out of prison. I pray to do God's will. When I read that story, I thought, wait a minute. What? What do I ask for? What if I had a list of every prayer that I asked over the last month? What, it, what would it reflect of what I'm going to God and, and asking for? I told you in the first lesson that I got an Alexa for Christmas, you know, where you can get all that wonderful stuff. And I still like it, you know. So I ask questions. This week I was looking on my iPad. You had to install the app, you know, to get all that connected. Well, I opened the app. And I didn't realize, but a list of every single question that I had asked Alexa was there. 
Every song that she played, just, just everything. Do you remember me saying that the biggest hurdle was for Alexa to understand my southern accent? There was one time when C and I were weighing something on a scale and we hit the tear button and we were like, tear? Where did that word come from? What does tear mean? I thought, we'll ask Alexa. You know, Alexa, what does tear mean? Well, she gave me the definition of T-E-A-R, and I was like, no, tear, you know, and tear. And every single one of those was listed on the account, and I thought, ah, I didn't want to know that. But what about your prayer list? What if at the end of the month, we're almost there, if God gave you, boom, this is what you've been asking for the last 30, 31 days. Would you want to read it? What have you been asking God for? Because I thought about that for myself. I thought too often our prayers are for rescue, for escape, right? God, get me out of this mess. Maybe we're asking for health. Maybe we're asking for money help. God, I need this. God, I want this. Yet every decision we make as followers of Jesus should run through the filter of God's will. Isn't that what James is saying here? If you think about tomorrow, you're making that decision. God, what's your will? God, what is your will? Where should I work? Whom should I marry? Should I marry? How do I handle this situation? How do I spend my money? How do I keep my money? When do I give away my money? How do I best use my time? See, to a follower of Jesus, that means everything falls under the submission of his will. How do I honor him as king in my life? See, humility teaches us that today is a gift. Tomorrow is not sure. We don't know that it's coming. All I've got is today. So I invite him in my today. And I'm dealing with that, trying to think about my tomorrow. God, what do you want me to do with this? Do you know who I have observed who do this very well? Who know how just to lay it all out on God, especially as I think about tomorrow. Who does that very well? People in grief. Those who have suffered an enormous loss. They don't have to be taught this lesson. They are grieving. They are desperate. And their prayers to God is, God, I can't do it. God, you're going to have to take over. I don't even know how to put one foot in front of the other. People who are grieving, they get this. They're not worried about the holidays, and they're not worried about next week. They're not even worried about tomorrow. They're trying to get through the day. This attitude, this lifestyle that we're talking about, doesn't have to be just relegated when we're grieving or when we're in a tough spot or or when we're in a difficulty. Now, tough times force us to go there. But we don't have to remain in those tough times to remain there. Running our decisions through that filter, if it's the Lord's will. Now, this submission we're talking about doesn't mean passivity. That's not what he's talking about at all. But it does mean that your plans for the future does not take over your submission to God as being your Lord. So ask God into your today. Ask God as you plan your tomorrow. Here's number three. Ask God to help you do his will. You just ask God to help you do his will. You just say to him, I want my life to count for something beyond just my job, my occupation, what I majored in school, what I studied, how much money I made. I want my life to be more than that. 
Look again at James 4.17. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. Anyone who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. Now that way of looking at sin is a little different than we normally think of sin. We usually think of sin as something you do, like you act. It's a sinful act. And there are those sins of commission, but this is the sin of omission. We know what we're supposed to do. We know right and wrong. We just don't do it. For whatever reason, we're consumed with this world. We stop using the four eyes and we're just seeing everything through the eyes of the world. We've lost our eternal perspective. But to be a Christ follower means you know His will and you're living every day in it. And Jesus calls us to do that. So let me ask you a question. If you died today, other than what somebody might say if they put a microphone, a reporter, and say, well, I always had a smile on their face or, you know, light up the room or whatever they might say to be kind in that moment. But in reality, how would those who know you best summarize you, your life? Would they say workaholic, chronic worrier, self-absorbed? Well, they say beautiful house, yes, but home, not so much. Snazzy dresser, quite the looker, but beauty was only skin deep. Good with money, good with hoarding it, that is. Had time for everyone, except for their family, their spouse. Fun to be with, life of the party. But boy, do they give their parents a hard time. So disrespectful. Maybe that's what it could read. But we can always change that legacy. When you make those changes, God-honoring changes, when you submit to His Lordship, when you do what Jesus said, seek first His kingdom, His righteousness. All these things will be added to you. What people will think of you then is child of the King, man of peace, godly father, loving mom, daughter of God, and you can have a hand in rewriting your legacy. Wisdom means following through. Making good choices. Choices that reflect your destination. Where you know you're headed. You've got that eternal perspective. You've got those four eyes. You see the world just like everybody else does. But you also know where you're going. Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do and He will establish your plans. You know, we've learned a lot about wisdom in this series, talking about what it means to just be wise, to ask God. But here's the truth. Every one of us, every one of us is selfish, can be. We want it our way, our preferences. We want to be on top. Our carnal nature wants to be number one. And it's hard for us to give that up. You know, we love in America the rags-to-riches story. The person who comes from nothing, everything going against them, maybe family, maybe an educational setback, whatever it is, and they come through that, or maybe in the work situation where they get skipped over and then they make something of it. We love those rags-to-riches story. But there's a story even better than those. It's the story of Jesus, and it's really the reverse of that, isn't it? It's the riches to rags. 
Because Jesus saw how messed up we are, consumed in our selfishness, and he gave all that up so that he could save us. And it's about having the right thinking, the right perspective. Remember that, those words from Paul? Take captive every thought. Make sure you're seeing things, thinking clearly. Look what he wrote in Philippians chapter 2, beginning of verse 5. Your attitude should be that same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient to death, even death on the cross. But that's not the end of the story. We know he came back from the grave. That's why he died, so that he could live again. See, to the world, they just say, why would you worship a crucified Savior? And we don't. We worship a risen Lord. He died for us, yes. But he died for us so that he could live for us. He showed us his wisdom at Calvary. And when you get that, when you understand that, when you've asked God for this wisdom, and that does change your thinking. It gives you that eternal perspective. And you see things with four eyes. You have that better perspective. Like a man named Charles I read about. Charles is a great man of God, a minister, planted churches, unique sense of humor that he kept all of his days. And even when he was about to die, his family was brought in. Many of you have been in a situation like that where you, you get a moment to, to, to say a word of farewell to someone you love so much. And, and Charles, because of his illness, had been responsive and then unresponsive. And so they didn't know, is he hearing me? Is he not hearing me? But they all went in and, and said their words. And, and he was totally quiet the whole time. They didn't know if he was hearing, totally unresponsive. So each of the family members said their words of goodbye. And then they were just standing around and it was quiet for a, kind of a, an awkwardly long time, nothing. And then his eyes opened. He woke up and he looked around and he said, oh, I'm still here. And everybody in their awkwardness just gasped and then they busted out laughing because that was his humor and that was his perspective. They were all kind of laughing at it and Charles was disappointed. Oh. I'm still here. If you're following Jesus, you understand why he was disappointed. Godly wisdom allows you that wherever you are, you're ready to go. You realize your life is but a mist. And you're planning for tomorrow, but God's in it. You've asked God in it as you're planning tomorrow. And if he comes in the meantime, praise the Lord. You're ready to go. You've got that eternal perspective. It involves every decision you make is asking God for wisdom every decision you make but ultimately it's about one it's that one decision to believe that Jesus is the son of God and he came to earth to save you if you believe and you're ready to confess that to others we want to sing this song of invitation to encourage you to make that public, let him make you that new creation of baptism as your sins are washed away and you're given the gift of the Holy Spirit and to know that with that you have this wisdom, this four eyes that you see God in everything.
Or if we can pray for you in any way, would you come as we stand and sing to encourage you?